Well, there's, there's been something stirring in my heart, and after last week, Wyatt did a great job, did he not, on love and the message of love, and I think he's already slipped out with the youth, but I, I thought, well, maybe I could launch off of that. We've been talking about relationships, and there were some more things that got stirred while he was sharing, but I, I was going to go there, and, and then I've just been having this word, actually these two words going over and over in my heart lately, and it's position yourself. And I really felt like the Lord said that many in the body of Christ miss what he wants to do in them and through them because they're out of position, that they're, they're not positioned where he, he is wanting to use them. They've somehow got out of position. And so we're going to look in Scripture today about a story from the Old Testament about positioning yourself. How many play sports in here? Anybody, any sports, athletes play sports? Well, you know if you play sports that being in the right position is huge, Right? If you're playing uh, softball or baseball, you know it, it, there's certain spots. If that's your position, you better be there. First baseman, you better position yourself if there's a hit to the infield. Same thing in basketball. It's strategy about position. If you're a wrestler, position's huge. Multi, your MMA, uh, you know, there's defensive positions and offensive positions, and being in the right position is huge. Uh, on Mondays, we play volleyball. One of the guys that plays is about, he's a late 30s or 40s, his name's Jim, and he's a coach, and he coaches down at Orcutt, but last week I happened to play on his team, and so, you know, we're playing for fun, but this guy wants to win, and so he says to me, hey, hey, Mike, when I go up to block the line, you need to take the angle, you, you need to be right here, and I'm thinking, I've been playing this longer than you're alive, buddy, and, 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 and so the other time, okay, you can, come on, for serves, you know, she serves short, everybody, come on, on your toes, and by about the fourth game, I'm going like this, and he's looking at me, come on, like this, on your toes, come on, trying to get me in position to win, and, and I just believe that in, in life that God wants us to win. Do you believe that? That there's things that come our way. He wants us to have victory. And so positioning ourselves is huge. And we're going to look at this passage. If you have your device, your Bible, open with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 this morning. And we're going to, I froze up there, Jennifer. Can you get me the next slide? There we go. Oh, this is, yeah, surfing, positioning. Positioning's huge. I forgot this slide. Positioning's huge because the difference between making the wave and wipeout is everything to do with position. And so uh, this isn't me, praise God. This is probably Shopu. This might be Fiji. I don't know. It's a very thick wave, a powerful wave, but that guy missed it by that much, and he's going to pay for it. So positioning's huge. Amen? All right. Turn with me, Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to look at winning battles God's way. And I'm going to tell you briefly again, many of you probably know the story of King Jehoshaphat, and uh, he was the fourth king after the kingdom separated. So there's the children of Judah and the kingdom of Judah separated from the kingdom of Israel, and Israel's God is king. At that time, it was Ahab and the children of Judah, King, king uh, Jehoshaphat was their king. He ruled from about 875 to 850 BC, and he was one of those good kings, he was a king whose heart was towards the Lord. He loved the Lord and was zealous to just restore God's commandments over his kingdom and over the people. He saw the blessing of obedience. And when he was ruling, he was a reformer. And because of obedience and setting things up God's way, he saw the blessing come on the people. How many believe that could happen again in a, in a church, in a country, in a community if we would seek the Lord? And because he sought the Lord, riches and honor increased in his kingdom. And he was a blessed, blessed guy. 
And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, 9, it says, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord with all his heart. That's the kind of guy he was. Well, if you look at his story, here we're coming to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Things kind of took a scary turn. In chapter 19, he's out on a mission trip, essentially. He's a reformer. He's visiting different groups of people, and he's encouraging them to come back to the Lord. And there's blessing, and it looks like everything's good, everything's peaceful. And then we get to chapter 20, and he's surrounded by enemies. There's three armies all around him, and it's looking really bleak. They're outnumbered, they're outmanned, they're outarmed, and, and these guys are become nemesis to him. And this is where we pick it up, starting in chapter 20, verse 1. It goes like this. It happened after this day that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria and, and there in Hezron Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So here we are, you, you find out when you're being attacked and you're, you're being surrounded, you'll find out what's in you. When you get squeezed, things come out of you. And just being honest and being forthright and upfront, the scripture says what came out of Jehoshaphat first is fear. It, it had been going okay and now he's surrounded and now it's not looking very good. But as this thing happened, fear came out of him. Now many of us have been in places like that, things going okay. Life's going okay. Actually, you're even serving God and a car accident comes or something happens in the family or something happens financially and you find yourself on the edge. You didn't expect it. You, you probably, you know, nothing you did even positioned yourself for it or deserved it. And here you are. You got a diagnosis from the doctor. Like Lee and Charmaine came back from Mexico. Tremendous victory they shared. And a few weeks later, diagnosed with leukemia, blindsided. And, and, and it happens sometimes to people, and it happens in life. And so for Jehoshaphat, here he finds himself in this place, and Scripture said the first thing that happened, well, fear tried to get hold of him. And uh, the, the good news is the things that he dealt with are this. He, he, he didn't go into denial. Some of us, when stuff happens to us, we just pretend it's not happening like it's going to go away if we don't address it. He didn't go into denial. He, he recognized it, he faced it, he looked at it, he was afraid, but the other thing he didn't do is let his emotions control him. I've seen people go through tough stuff and they panic or they go into self-pity or they get angry. It's your fault this is happening. It's your fault this is happening to us. You did this. Or people jump to conclusions just because there is an attack. They fast forward in their mind to the worst case scenario where they're losing their house, they're losing everything they have, and they, they, they go into panic mode. That's not what he did. What did he do? He humbled himself, and he called on the people of God to fast and seek the Lord. He knew the way out was a spiritual solution to a problem that's bigger than him. He knew that he's going to need heaven's help, and he called the people around him. He said, this is a corporate problem. This is a problem amongst us. I'm calling you together. We're going to fast, and we're going to seek God for the victory and seek God for the answer. Amen? How, how about you when you encounter trouble? Do you, do you, 
get that same heart where you humble yourself, you ask the right questions. God, I don't know how this happened. I'm just asking you, Lord, now for wisdom and insight, and I'm asking you, God, now for a strategy. We'll, we'll look in a second what fasting does, how it positions us. And Isaiah 56, Isaiah 58, 5 through 6, it says this, is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict or humble his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? And this is what he says fasting will do in Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. God's word says there's power in fasting. When the, when the enemy comes, when the, when the you know, report comes, what do we do? Do we panic or do we set ourselves on the Lord and humble ourselves and say, God, give me a plan. Give me a strategy. We need your spirit. We need your power. And I know that's where Lee and Charmaine are. If I can speak for them, Charmaine talked to me a couple of weeks ago and said, Pastor Mike, we need people standing with us and praying and fasting. And there's an issue in his lung, this fungus thing. We're believing the fungus is going in Jesus' name and his blood's gonna be restored. But it's a battle. And some of you are in similar battles where you need people standing with you. We're seeking God together. This is family. We're, we're, we want to see family victory, amen? We, you know, Scripture says when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. So we've been in this series on relationships about one anothering, bearing one another's burdens and encouraging one another. And so I just encourage you to take the passages of Scripture and be declaring promises and blessing and health and life over their home. It brings a supply of the Spirit. It brings strength. I've been on the receiving end of prayer before, and I know the difference it makes when you're tough times, and it feels like somebody opens the windows and just a fresh breeze comes. You go, there's people praying. I know they're with me. I know they're battling with me concerning these things. Amen? Amen? So... We go on, verse 5, magnifying your deliverer. So Jehoshaphat, this is what he did. He stood in the assembly in, in Judea, or the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? And who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us or sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and we'll cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear, what's the last line say? And you will hear and save. And you will hear and save. We'll cry out to you. It's a cry of faith. God, we need you. God, we need you to show up in this situation. And scripture says he hears our cry. Now look at a couple things we can learn from, from his approach here, Jehovah's approach. You got to remember God and his faithfulness. And I, I used to, years ago in my old Bible that got flooded in my trunk, I had in the back promises and promises received or answered. I remember taking notes and keeping track as a young Christian when God would answer my prayer and the scriptures around that. And, and if you don't keep it down physically or writing it somewhere, it needs to be in your heart the times that God has showed up and delivered you. 
Because when it's looking bleak sometimes and when it's looking difficult sometimes and the circumstances are bigger than your memory, it's good to have it lodged someplace. This is what God spoke. This is what he did. And, and even God himself says, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you might be acquitted. God tells us to come and reason at those places at those times. Not only that, the other point, he says, what Jehoshaphat did, it says, you know, he's out in the field when he sees these troops, but he comes back to the new court. It says here in Scripture that he, he went back before the new court and began to declare these things before the Lord. That new court was the temple that they put up not too long before that. They'd been set free. Their captivity was released. They came back to Jerusalem. They restored the temple. And just previously, they had re restored the temple, and God came down, and God made them promises when they restored the temple. So much so that the glory of the Lord filled that temple. God said, amen. He stamped his approval on that place. And over that place, God said, I will be attentive. My ears will be towards the prayers made in this place, and my eyes will be upon you. When we dedicated this church, and we had it in etched glass in those panels before we had the Hebrew for what that meant in the original and when we dedicated this place, that God said his eyes and ears would be attentive. Where did Jehoshaphat go to make the remainder to the people? Come on, guys, we're going back to the place where God promised, and we're going to put him in remembrance of what he said, and we're going to stand on what he told us to do. We're going to stay in that place. You have a place where God spoke to you? You have a place where you went or where, where you can get, and you know that's the place where God made you a promise? Do you have a place in Scripture, a dog-eared page, where you were reading and God made this clear that he was going to deliver you, that you didn't have to be afraid, where it's real, you've highlighted it, it's circled, it's colored, it's checked? I have a place in my Bible, it's in the book of Jeremiah. When I, I, it was in uh, 93 when Tim Morbis, or the lead pastor, announced to me as the associate pastor, we're moving back to Indiana and I think you're the next guy. I said, that's interesting because I've been praying about our family moving to Bolivia, to the mountains, to, to do missions. And I said, I, I booked the tickets. He knew I did. I'm going to go on this trip, and I'll pray, and you pray. And when I come back, we'll figure out, does God want me to be pastor here, or should our family go there? And when I was in the mountains of Bolivia, we were high up in the Andes. It was just a beautiful place. We hiked a couple hours into this church. And I was speaking. I was going from English to Spanish and Spanish to Quechua, a double interpretation, Super awkward, super slow. I said, I'm sitting down, go Spanish to catch you, and I'll read in the back. And I'm in the back, and I opened my Bible, and it was like the presence of God came from heaven and just began to speak to me. And it was out of Jeremiah chapter 3. It's circled in my Bible. The date is on it where the Lord said, I have, I have set you as an elder at Agape Church, and I'm not calling you away. And then he gave me the passage, and it was fresh. He says, you know, return unto me, O backslider, for I'm married to you, and I'll take one from the city and two from the country, and I'll bring them to Zion, and I'll give them shepherds after my own heart to feed them knowledge and understanding. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's what I've called you to. And so it's in my Bible. And after I became lead pastor, believe me, there was days I said, is this really your plan and will? I don't feel like I can do this and lead this, and man, I can't speak and teach, and God, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. Help me. Oh, Yeah. That's where you spoke. Oh, yeah, that's where you promised. 
and where you promise, God, and where you call, you provide. And, and, and where, where you set us, Lord, there's a place of grace in that place. And so times you want to give up or quit or feel tested or tried, you go back to that place. And Jehoshaphat said, come back to this place, guys. This is where God promised he'd be with us. This is where he promised he would hear. This is where he promised he would move. Let, let's remember this place. Amen? And it was a strategy for victory. In verse 10, and now... Here are the people of Ammon. He's still reasoning with the Lord. He's still building his case. He said, here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are. And they're rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. This is what happened when God was sending the tribes of Israel across and the, the, the Jordan. And now they're inheriting what he promised. There is these certain tribes that God said, leave them alone, don't drive them out. And so here they are years later, we didn't drive them out. And now they're a nemesis to us. Now they're thorns in our side. And so here's Jehoshaphat saying to God, God, you're the one that told us to leave them. And now they're the ones attacking us. And not only that, God, they want to throw us out of our inheritance. How many believe you have an inheritance in Christ in the New Testament? How many believe that Scripture says, Scripture says that you're joint heirs with Jesus Christ? Heirs according to the promise. Heirs of Abraham's promises. That's you and me grafted into those promises. How many believe there's an enemy that would like to rip off your inheritance? There's an enemy who wants to talk you out of your inheritance, keep you just in old thinking, old living, destructive, depressed, old ways of doing things. There's an enemy that wants to steal your inheritance. And here they come to God and say, God... It's not right. It's not right. They're trying to disinherit us. They're trying to push us out of our inheritance, and we need your help. Have you ever been to a place where this isn't what your word says, God, and I'm experiencing it? I'm going to stand, Lord. I'm trusting what you said. I'm trusting what you promised. Here's what they said. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Read the last line with me, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Sometimes just we're used to doing life and taking care of business ourselves, but we run into stuff. We run into things where I can't even figure this out. God, it's bigger than me. It's overwhelming to me. But God, I, I don't know what to do, but just I'm going to put my eyes on you. I, I'm going to put my eyes on you. The, this morning we were praying in pre-service prayer. And as we're praying, I was just thinking, I just kind of came up, popped up, the the two questions that Jesus asked his disciples. And he took them on a field trip. This is one of the first times after he trained his guys, he took some, takes them up to Caesarea Philippi. And, and in Caesarea Philippi, there, there's just occult worship, temple worship, demonic stuff, perverted stuff going on. And in the midst of training them in ministry, he says to them, hey guys, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, the prophet that's to come. And others say you're the Messiah. And he gets feedback from them. What, what do people say about me? And then he asks them a question that we all have to answer. He said, who do you say that I am? And, and the disciples said, you're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And there, I don't know, it would probably been a year and a half, maybe close to two years, they'd been walking with him. He had been establishing for them who he was in their life. When you and me get to a place where we say, God, I can't do this on my own, I can't do this in my own strength, my own wisdom. God, I'm looking to you. There's an opportunity there for God to establish who he is to you. 
that he is your provider, that he will be Jehovah Shalom, your peace. He'll be Jehovah Jireh, the God that takes care of you. He'll be Abba Father to you. There's, there's a place where we get, where we say in humility, we surrender, say, God, I can't figure this out. It's bigger than me. And I'm not saying in laziness or excuses, we just come to the place and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you. My eyes are on you and not circumstances. It gives God a place to show himself as God. And when he does, and you remember it, it changes everything. Amen? Through this, God vowed through covenant to bring the children of Israel into a promised land. He made promises of protection, intervention, and direction when they dedicated the temple to him and sealed it, and he sealed it with his glory. He poured out his spirit, said yes and amen to his promises. They couldn't even stand up because of the presence of God. You know what? You have those same promises. And so when those are challenged, when you feel like your inheritance is being stolen, you have a right to stand before God, before the enemy, between, before heaven and hell, and say, no, this is who God says I am. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to torment and to bondage. I am a child of God. And the enemy's trying to rip you off from that. You said, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. My father's whispered to me, I'm born of his spirit. I'm born of his son. I'm born into his kingdom. I am a child of God. Amen? And he promised he would come when we cry, when we would deliver. This is what scripture says. This is a new covenant based on better promises. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. That's good news, amen? And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's given us a place. He's given us authority. He's given us a new name. He's given us a new destiny. Scripture says he raised us up and sat us with Christ. And guess what? Lucifer, who was light, who was one of the worshiping cherubs who led, some say, worship in heaven. He's a fallen being. In rebellion, he fell. He's been cast down. And he's jealous of your position that you're seated with Christ. And he doesn't want you in that position. And he doesn't want you to think that you could be in that position. Guess what? There's an enemy of your souls that wants to steal your inheritance, steal your identity, but with the greater ones in us, amen? The Holy Spirit's in us, trying to persuade us and establish us and strengthen us in the fact that we are children of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance in him, amen? Well, let's move forward. We're going to wrap this up. Now, all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, they stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah. Now, why the genealogy in here? Jehaziel and Zechariah is a prophet, and Benaniah, these guys are heavyweights, but many of them, they were the sons of Asaph, and they wrote many of the Psalms. And when you read the Psalms, you read this that often happens. God we're in torment, we're in trouble, it looks bleak around us, the, the streams are drying up, the desert's barren. We're, we're in rough spot, but you, God, as we praise you, go, you, God, as we focus on you. These psalmists over and over again write that story. If we were stuck, we were desperate, and now, God, you came and you delivered us. And these same guys, these same prophets, they're hearing from God. Verse 15, and they said, listen, all of you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Read this with me. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 
He told him, God's going to come. We just sang, God of the angel armies, he's going to come, and he's going to fight the battle with you and for you. Amen? And so here's the strategy. Tomorrow, go down against them. They'll surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Zerul, and you will not need to fight. Read the underline with me. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. Read the underline. For the Lord is with you. Position yourself, for the Lord is with you. Position yourself, for the Lord is with you. Didn't say put your swords on, get your horses and their armor, get, get your weapons. And it says position yourself. Position yourself. And we're going to look quickly at several things we can do to position ourselves to stand in the victory that the Lord has provided. First of all, you got to admit, some of us, that the battle's bigger than you. Some of you are still fighting an addiction and you won't surrender to that thing and you're just playing with it and you won't say, this thing's bigger than me, God, I need your help. Some still won't admit, this thing's trying to take me out, trying to steal my inheritance. So Lord, I'm giving you my addiction. I recognize what it's doing to me and I'm turning that over to you. Now, God, give me a strategy through. The other party says, stand still. And stand still, how? Well, God's given us spiritual armor. It's called the armor of God. It's not the armor of Mike. It's not the armor of agape. It's the armor of God. Scripture says in Ephesians 6, having done all to stand, stand. And then it goes on, and I'm not going to go through it all now, but you can do a Bible study this week. It would be good on the armor of God. How do you stand? You stand with the breastplate of salvation or the breastplate of righteousness on and the helmet of salvation, that your, your loins are girded with truth, the belt of truth, that you have the sword of the spirit, you have the shield of faith. That's how you stand in the armor of God. And so he said, position yourself and stand, and you're going to see God move. Don't be afraid or dismayed. Some get in self-pity. Oh my, why is this happening to me? And you're stuck there. The temptation is panic or paralysis. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You're going to everybody. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God says, be quiet. Back up. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. God, you're with me. God, you're going to give me a strategy. God, you're going to show me how to move forward. God, you're going to come and fight my enemies for me. you got to believe that. Amen? It's a fight of faith. Verse 18, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites, the children of the Kohathites, and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel. What does it say? With what? With voices loud and high. Oh, God. This is so bad. This is horrible. No, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, that's not what they did. Worshiping, worshiping. We're, we're, we're getting our focus right. We're worshiping. This is the God who delivers. This is the God who saves. When they got up, Scripture said they did it with voices loud and high. And I know the world thinks we're nuts, you and me, when we praise and worship, lean to the left, dance to the left. I know they jump, jump, jump in the river. I know people come in, they probably think that's goofy stuff. They, they probably do. Some of the things we do and our hands up, the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't get it. But I've got it when I'm in my car and pressures are against and things are happening. And I get calls from church and people are having heart issues and family issues and divorce issues. I get it when I begin to praise high and loud. God, this is who you are. This is what you said, God. And I know you'll be true to your word. I get it. I don't know if you get it. But when we praise, something happens. 
When we praise, we can shift the atmosphere. When we praise, heaviness got to go and demonic strongholds have to break. When, when we begin to praise, God's given us a weapon. And he said the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. They're mighty in God. And the world doesn't get it, and they think we're foolish, and they think we're weird, but I know it works. And I've seen it deliver my family, and I've seen it deliver people in the church. And I've, I've felt praise lift me and deliver me with voices high and loud, not the whisper of the frozen chosen, high and loud, alive, ignited, on fire, with a, with a praise in your voice and a shout in your heart and a rejoicing that the king is among us. And he wants to do exploits and mighty things among us. He wants to work miracles among us. There's something in the shout of the Lord when you believe those things. When, when the faith of God and the, the heart of God, the life of God is with us. What you focus on gets larger and has greater control. Whatever you're giving voice to, whatever you begin to focus on, you can focus on your fear and past failures and offenses and your hurts, and you can rehearse those things, or you can focus on where your strength comes from. You can focus on where life comes from and peace comes from and victory comes from. You can choose. You can choose. You can get to a place some people I know come hurt and wounded and broken and I've had others argue that, that it isn't their choice how those thought patterns go. and I get it, but you can renew your mind. I renewed mine. I'm re renewing mine. You can change your thinking. If God wants victory for you, he can help you. He can change the way you think and bring you to victory. Does anybody believe that this morning? And then last but not least, sometimes you have to praise loud enough to make sure heaven and hell and every place in between understands where you stand. They have to understand this is where I stand. This is what I believe. This is what I'm standing on. This is, this is for me. This is where, I don't know about you and your house, for, for me and my house, this is our confession. Confession. This is our conviction. This is the way we're going. Amen? Yeah. Are you all right? Yeah. 2020 vision. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little emotional and stirred up about this. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. So. <laughs> 2020 vision. So verse 20, chapter 20, verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Read this with me. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. So a day and a half or two days before, Jehoshaphat was filled with fear. And whatever had been happening, the worshiping and the praise and the other things, the encouragement and his prophetic friends that began to declare what God has said, his seer friends that said, no, this isn't the end for us. I see us being victorious. The people around him began to encourage him and strengthen him. And what did he say? Hey, guys, believe. Hey, guys, we're going to stand and believe. We're going to believe in the Lord your God and we're going to be established and we're going to believe his prophets and we're going to prosper. And he encouraged them to believe. And that word there, believe, in the Hebrew is aman. It means to be firm and stable, to be established, to be firmly persuaded, to believe solidly, to consider trustworthy. We got the word amen is derived from aman. And amen says, I agree. When you say amen to something, you're saying, I agree. So aman says, God is great and big and faithful and mighty and powerful. And amen says, I believe that. I agree with that. And so when you and me, when, when somebody comes into agreement in prayer and we stand and pray and the rest of us say, we agree, there's a force that's released, a power is released. When we say, we agree with that, we stand with that, we're, we're confessing that, we're, we're one accord on that. 
There, there's something that happens when we come together corporately in the prayer of agreement. Things can change. Do you believe that? And I've seen it change time and time again. When we come into agreement, when we seek God, things can change. Now, just a footnote, it's difficult to build faith in crisis. Faith is developed through the word of God being fed to your spirit on a regular basis. Some people get in crisis and they cave. They're, they're not ready for this. You know, they were blindsided, but they're squeezed and what, what's coming out of them, worry, fear, and just complaining and self-pity, all that stuff comes out of them because they haven't been building up their faith and encouraging their faith and strengthening their faith. And so when, when crises comes, you find out what's in you. And sometimes for some people, it's too late, man. Crises comes and you're falling apart instead of been building up your faith and exercising your faith muscles all the way along. Amen? So it's not the time when crises comes to, to start working and building and trusting God. You should be doing it now. Amen? Be something part of our regular discipleship, part of our regular diet in God's word. Amen? This is one of my go-tos. This is one of my... When I'm squeezed, this is the passage that comes up a lot in me. And it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, this isn't blaming God for your temptation and trial. It says in James, when somebody's tempted, no, let no man say he's tempted of God. We live on a fallen planet where bad things happen to good people. There, there's things that we, we live under a curse that's still on the earth. You and me are redeemed from it, but it's all around us. And opportunities come all the time for discouragement or for accidents or for calamity. There, there's things that happen. There's people that attack us, try and curse us. Those things, stuff happens. And so I know in, in my life when stuff comes my way, I, I just by default say, Lord, I know how there has to be a way through this. I know there has to be a way out of this. And I know this thing isn't too big for me because you said you would never allow that, that you would give grace for what I face. And so when this thing's coming, Lord, I have to believe that there's more than enough grace to meet it. Lord, I have to believe there's a way through this, a strategy, a plan, and so I'm going to ask and seek and knock until you make it plain which way I should go. Some of you know, I mean, on and off, I struggled with sciatic stuff in my lower back, and, and it was a couple years ago, it was really debilitating. I mean, I would take ibuprofen to be up here. I was even on a stool a few times. There's times I'd ride home in the car, and just from even 20 minutes going home, my back would be tight, and it'd be just tough to get out of the car, and it was, it was tough. It was miserable. I was taking ibuprofen, started messing up my stomach, and, and, you know, the whole chain of stuff that starts happening with that. So I went down to Santa Monica and saw this doctor that does laser on your spine, and it sounded like pretty good stuff, but just no peace, and I had an MRI here, and went to a doctor here, and, and I asked him about it. He said, well, you know, when you got a spine, you got an Etzel. Your, your spine, how your vertebrae line up, it's an Etzel. It wasn't a very good design, not receiving that. And, and then he started saying, you know, what do you like to do? And I said, I like to play golf. He says, well, you can't do that anymore because this twisting is bad for your spine. What else do you like to do? Well, we like to play volleyball. Can't do that anymore because you, when you jump up and down, it does this on your disc. You got to quit that. Well, what else do you like to do? Uh, I like to swim. Well, you can swim. And so 
a few times a year I swim. No, I, mean, I swim more than that. We swim every week. But after he starts putting this list together, and in my mind, I'm thinking, no, I, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't limit myself. God, I'm not receiving this, Lord. There's got to be a way of escape. There's got to be a way forward. And so I went down to Santa Barbara with Jan and talked to another back specialist, and they talked about surgery and carving the disc. Still no peace, no peace. And I know others have had surgery, and I'm good with that because I had surgery on my knee before when it got hurt. Just no peace. And so I went to Dr. Tullius. Somebody recommended him. He's a chiropractor. I went in to see him, and I told him that I'm a pastor, and I believe in God to heal my back. And he says to me, well, how do you know God doesn't want to use me to heal your back? He goes, you have a gift to help people get well and heal. I have a gift too. And so right then we connected and he started doing some things and, and that helped my back. Then I went to the gym and I was doing some uh, orbital stuff. I started loosening up my hips and the people were praying. I went to our pastor's prayer group. I just told him, guys, I'm desperate. I mean, I'm not used to being in pain this long and it's really, it's grinding on me. It's wearing on me. Would you pray? And in the course of maybe six weeks or or, or a month or so, my back started getting better and better and better and better. And now I'm golfing and playing volleyball and doing stuff. And, and sometimes I still pay for it, taking ibuprofen. Sometimes I overdo because I don't stretch like I should. But I tell you, it's 150% better than it was. And I just thank God that he promises, he promises a way forward. This is our building. We bought this land in 97. You that were around remember this grueling story. Seven years we fought with the county and different ordinances and regulations and redesigns and thousands of dollars to build the building. There's certain neighbors in the neighborhood, one particularly that builds all over the place, but when we wanted to come to this neighborhood, he didn't want us in his neighborhood, but he wants to build in your neighborhood. My little beef and complaint, sorry. I feel bitter right now. And Anyway, so he's opposing us, right? He's opposing us. And, you know, so we're in the Board of Supervisors, and then we're back to the Planning Commission, and we're redesigning and providing them reports and traffic reports and water reports. And I get in front of the church and said, you know, we just need a few more thousand, 12 more thousand for this water report, and we got it. Raise the money, get the water report done, go before the Planning Commission. They don't even read the water report. They said, no, you need a full EIR, 70,000 more. And so I still remember, I still remember at old building, I still remember coming in after that meeting, and it was dark in the sanctuary, getting down up front, and just saying to God, God, did I miss this? I mean, our church is putting thousands of dollars in this. And I just said one more thing, and we're there. I, God, did I miss this? And, and just, I still remember the desperation of the prayer. God, you got to show me. You got to show me. And Pastor James and I working together on it. And, you know, I think we were in agreement back then. And, and so we talk. And, I mean, back then about uh, this is God's will. And we talk, hey, man, another setback. What are we going to do? And then we went back. God said, God told us. Remember when we prayed on the property? We had a group of people. We had peace. We felt it's the Lord. And we fought, and we did what they said, and we fought, and we got a Jewish attorney that was scrappy, and, and we, 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 we fought, and we got victory. And here we are today because we did not give up, and we felt like the Lord said, and here we are today. And I'm telling you, sometimes there's things where we got to fight, where we got to stand. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Amen? Here we are. We are finishing that. Here's the praise that led the way. 
2021, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. They were declaring God's mercy over their situation. God's mercy for breakthrough. Not that even I deserve, he reasoned with the Lord over what God had promised, but he didn't even go based on that. He went because God is merciful. He went because God is good, because God is full of loving kindness and compassion. Amen? And they went in that victory. And now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah. And they were defeated for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Three days before... We're surrounded. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to be delivered? We're outmanned. We're outarmored. We're outhorsed. Everything else. And here they are, and they turn on, and they battle, and they destroy one another. And there's something in Scripture, if you look, it says that praise discomfits the enemy. When we praise, it brings confusion. Actually, this discomfits, it's a word that means to embarrass, to abash, to get disconcert, to discompose to discomfort, to take back, to unsettle, to unnerve, put someone off their game. That's what discomfit means. So when we praise, the enemy's strategies are confused. When we praise, attacks are coming, you decide to praise. The devil say, what, what's he doing? We thought we had him. We thought he'd panic or go back to his old addictions. He's not doing that. He's praising. He's standing up and thanking God for what he's fighting. He's in the middle of attacks, but he's not freaking out. He's praising God. And it drives him crazy when we do it. It perturbs him, puts him into distress. Psalms 8 says, From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. It says, When we praise, the, the, the plans and the strategies of the enemies come to nothing. And here we see Jehoshaphat exercising it on a large scale. Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil. Not only that, three days before, it looked like it was over, and now all these dead people, a little gruesome, but they're all laying out there with their jewelry and all their goods. And so it took them three days to take the stuff. So not only did they not die and were they not destroyed, now they got all this stuff. So think about when you go through challenges and you praise God. And now at the end of it, you got stuff. Now you have a testimony. Now, now you have strength. Now, now you have peace that you didn't have before. And you, you know how to help other people that have been through it. You got stuff now. You got spoiled because you stood, because you, you, you went through it, you endured, you persevered. Now you have things that you can do to help other people with. And they named that place the Valley of Barak, the Valley of Blessing, or the Valley of Bended Knee before the Lord because the victory he gave them. Stand up with me if you would. You can't forget the last part. When they had victory, they returned and they gave thanks. They gave thanks. Some of you and me, we go through stuff. That one's behind me and we just march on. And we forget the Lord. This, they said they went back to Jerusalem. They went with strings, instruments, harps, trumpets, and they praised God for victory. They praised God for victory. Do we have anybody who just wants to thank God for a moment for victory? Father, I thank you for victory in our lives. I thank you for how you brought it. I thank you for strategies you give us. 
humility and remembering and standing on your promises and truth that causes deeper trust and the power of praise, God. Thank you for victory. Thank you for training us in victory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for victory.